0: This podcast is supported by MileHighShooting.com And Mile High Shooting is having an awesome giveaway To anyone who orders anything off the website Through December So you still have a few days And meaning a few days I'm like a really mean Just a few more days to get in to win A free Zeiss scope. Actually they're giving away a couple free Zeiss scopes to people who buy anything online between or during the month of December. They're also giving off a hundred dollars, you know, for a purchase of I forget how much it was, but but it's a certain percentage. It's like they're giving 10% off for purchases of a certain quantity, 15% off, you know, for purchases of a certain You know, amount and so on and so forth. So, they've got a number of great deals going on right now. They also have tons of ammunition, firearms, and equipment, all of which are high end pieces of equipment. Most of us that listen to this podcast go through a lot of ammo. I shoot a lot of factory ammo, so I go in there all the time to buy factory ammo. I always have a huge supply of high quality ammunition, and I still think the federal 130 gold medal match. 6.5 6.5 Creedmoor is the best deal out there for ammo. But they've got 6 Creedmoor, uh horny 6 Creedmoor that's pretty cheap. They've got um, a bunch of PRC, some other things. I got to go back in there and look to see what they've got available. Um, they've got uh, Vitavore powders. They've got Lapua brass, burger bullets, horny bullets, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. So just go to their website, peruse through their items and if you're looking to get something that's a great place to do it it's my local shop it's also a great way for you to potentially you know win a three thousand dollar scope for something that you needed to buy anyway and uh, it's supporting a company that supports matches supports shooters supports everything in the industry it supports you know law enforcement SWAT teams I mean they, they do all sorts of awesome things for the community and a lot of it you don't get to see it's behind the scenes but they support the shooting sports and people who shoot in a great way and they're just a great company to be associated with super proud to have them as a supporter of the podcast can't say anything negative other than i wish more of you bought more stuff there uh, just to show them that the straight dope really loves mile high shooting and, uh, they give back as much as they get. I feel like they're, uh, you know, just an awesome company and great people, great owners, great company, great cause. So get after it. And, uh, for those of you going to the rifles only brawl, they tend to support that pretty extensively as well. Um, but let's get to the podcast. No, seriously.
1: If you look across social media right now, there is, and honestly, I, look, man, I'm I'm just as guilty. You know, my post today uh, was was partially um, and you because you you, uh, you just got back from doing something. I don't know what it was, but uh, I haven't talked to you in a few days, uh, and you hit me up, and you're like, "Hey, what what you know?" Spurred uh, your post earlier, and I was like, "Dude, actually, a lot of things." Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting was a lot of the hubbub around uh, the, the the new vested interest in semi-auto platforms. And it was kind of funny because it was like, I'm glad to see it. Dude, I'm super glad to see it um, because that's what CR2 has been about since the get-go. So I'm glad that there's more of our peers, uh, more of our friends, and uh, more just overall a vested interest in um, – semi-auto platforms and precision semi-auto platforms because dude that's what we're all about. I mean obviously we shoot bolt guns don't get me wrong. They've always been welcome in our circles um but that's that's a lot of who we are. So yeah, I mean like you said I come from the army side and the you know the 20 or sorry the 110 has been uh, a primary um uh weapon in the sniper's arsenal since the early 2000s. Um and so you know, we've been using semi-automatic sniper rifles for a long time. And, um, kind of now we're, we're, our focus is a little bit more on recce rifles as, uh, some people may refer to them, but there's, kind did that of come the, from
0: Grand Thumb? Like, I, I just got to ask. because, no, like, I, no, I tend to like, not. Oh, the, the, like, I remember when he came out with that and everybody lost their shit. And I thought, dude, it's like a gas gun. Like, who, why would you like calling shit? So I, random I think, shit. Just, you know, to like, it, it, it yeah. kind of seemed to me like, like a, like well, a, a funny little flex. On, those guys that have um, been on
1: the tasker network or, um, you know, all those other different forums and stuff like that, that that's been hot in their circles for a long time. You know, grand, um, Grantham just, you know, obviously he, he had a resurgence of it recently. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know Lucas over there at T Rex Arms. I think there might have been a conversation there. I think you know I saw the email and then the post recently from from Kalen, uh, you know at Modern Day, and then uh, uh, obviously Saving Ryan's Privates has been talking about him and stuff. But you know Recky Rifle has been a conver- has been a word for a while. It's funny because actually just probably thirty minutes ago, maybe an hour ago now, uh, John Warchild um, had posted something and he was like, you know. He hopes that rec- die, rec- the RECI rifle conversation dies in 2023 because he's like, as far as I'm concerned, RECI doesn't refer to rifles. It refers to an action. It refers to reconnaissance. It's, it's something you do on a military mission. And I agree with him. And I was like, you know, I don't have a problem with the, with the RECI rifle, uh, you know, term per se. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is the fact that none of us can agree on what it means, but we all think that we're right. <laughs> that's 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 what my problem with rifle mean. you know that's that was my problem with it
0: oh man I, first of all you're, you're never gonna hear me say that because I, I i won't say it but but um i'm gonna call it a fucking gas gun with a scope on it yeah but uh, rifles, i think that's funny army. right it's like <laughs> it's like I, I i do say sniper competition but i imagine it's probably the same thing you know right uh four child's a fucking marine and and uh no i you think know, it was army. people people really
1: yeah. Yeah. John Warren. Shut yeah. Up. He's army.
0: Oh, well, fucking a, uh, I, I think like people, people kind of have their roots and where it came from, but then uh, all of a sudden it gets out into the public and, um, they use terms in funny ass ways. And to me, it's like, Holy fuck, dude, we're just shooting. Like, how about <laughs> we just talk about shooting and we've been doing it for a long time. And, and so, right. So, um, that I think, I think the conversation's funny because people want to bicker about like a term or definition or like what's hot, you know? And, they, and then mm-hmm. I, 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 I put out a post yesterday, I think, uh, or the day before yesterday, just saying that like, you know, most of the social media or in the, in the firearms world is, is purely entertainment, right? People have got these manicured, vid- they got, they got manicured videos and it's beautiful and it's set up and it's like, okay, so on and so forth. But then at the end of the day, you're like, wow, didn't say anything of value, right? I mean, they told you what it was. They told you how they, you know, put, you know, this is, this knob does this, you know, but it's like, holy shit. I didn't learn anything, right? But it's sexy. And sometimes that's what people want to want. I mean, you want, I mean, shit, that's what keeps TikTok and Instagram alive, right? It is sexy. And, uh, but when it comes to just shooting it, like, holy shit, people have been using these for a long time and they work really well to a point. And then, after which you know I think you, you kind of maximize delivering energy at a distance with with a bolt gun because the gases that are lost. But it's fun to have you be here because uh you're you're an expert with gas guns, you're an expert with precision marksmanship. And so um like, you know, tell me a little bit about when c r two formed, like, what are people looking for in terms of utilization of a gas gun in a precision long range context? And and where, where where do you kind of define the limits of like what you know high percentage hits are? I mean, obviously, mm. you know, somebody's like, well, I want to, you know, I heard I could hit a mile with a blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, you could, you know, I could hit a mile probably with a rim but but not regularly, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like you you guys really did start with the intention of that being a, a core component of your curriculum. Right. Mm. So so there must have been a market. There must have been interest. There still yeah. is a market. There's still interest. Like, you know, kind of maybe, maybe kind of create a picture of what people are looking for right. and and what they can do in that context.
1: Right. Well, okay. So so I guess even to back it up just a little bit before that, you know, when when the CR twos first started, before there was even a CR two shooting solution, when when Chris and I first became a thing, um, you know, back when Frank first kind of coin the CR2s back when we were just sniper instructors together and friends and starting to compete together, we chose to compete with semi-autos. That was just our thing. Um, we saw these race gun kind of bolt actions and we just didn't see that um, to be very relevant to our style of shooting. And so we, we saw, you know, the semi-auto platform to be, it kind of more of where we wanted to be. And we thought that we could do the majority of what we wanted to do the, and compete and be competitive in those comp, kind of competitions um, with that platform. And so our very first competition that we went shot, you know, I built a semi-auto 6.5 Creedmoor in my garage, first rifle like that I had ever built. Um, and Chris shot a, a 308 OBR and we went out and shot Mammoth Sniper Challenge. Um, and our goal in that match, cause it was our, you know, my very first match, Chris had shot a few others, um, was we just didn't want to zero a stage. We wanted to complete every ruck march and we didn't want to zero a stage. And we figured if we did that, um, for one, completing the matches as, as a whole would put us a, above 50% of the field as it was. And then, you know, we, we could, we could start to edge away a, a decent amount of the rest of the field because just consistency equals accuracy is kind of, was kind of our mindset. And you know what we were right we took 10th place in that match just by not zeroing a stage. So it didn't matter if we walked away with one, one impact. Um, that was enough to set us apart. Now, some stages we did better. We took six, seven impacts. Some stages we only took one, but we didn't take a single single zero. And even though there's guys out there with, with, you know, seven, $8,000 race guns with my garage build and with his Larue OVR, which at that point in time was like 10 or 12 years old. And we were both shooting factory ammunition that, um, you know, we, we went and we walked away with a, you know, a 10th place finish, which we were very happy about. And so we kind of continued that we, and then we were actually picked to go and compete over in Israel um, at their international sniper competition against some of the best sniper teams throughout the entire, entire world. Um, so, I mean, there was Navy SEALs, there was, you know, there was some of their most elite uh, snipers. There was, you know, sniper teams from all over, all over the world that went and competed there. And we took semi-autos again. Uh, at this point in time, we didn't take our our own personal rifles. We um, we actually took some Lanzang tactical uh, rifles that they loaned to us. Um, and then we took we took carbines because uh, the way the Israelis do it, um, they have you know battle rifles. You know, they're they're carbines with a uh, with a low you know low Power variable optic um, that they carry and you know on patrol and then they have their sniper rifles attached to their pack. And they, you know, a lot of times, depending on the type of force that they are, they will be on patrol with everybody else. And so they're expected to, you know, fight along with everybody else. And then when they're needed to fill that role of a sniper, then they, you know, put their rifle down, grab their sniper rifle out and carry on that role. And so, um, we took on, we took carbines also, and we actually finished some of the sniper stages with those carbines because we decided it was just easier to do it with, with those, uh, those five, five, six carbines, you know, even though they were 14 and a half inch barrels, you know, eight, uh, one by eight, eight tackers. And, um, there was actually a mover stage that we cleaned up on that we did pretty well with that. And even though we were against guys with, you know, MRADS and guys with, you know, um, you know bolt action three hundred wind mags and and various other rifles once again, we took third place in that ash with our semi automatics and so that's just kind of had been our thing for 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 years on past so when we decided to start c r two what we looked at in the market was for one, we wanted to teach things differently because um, we saw a lot of things that we didn't agree with in the market, as far as instruction was concerned just just instruction, period, not carbines per se. But then we also looked at, well, what was our niche for the market that was different than everybody else, and so that's where we decided to continue on with the the carbine uh, style uh, of rifle and really take a push there because. Um, we were competing in these, these, uh, quantified performance matches. Um, I had actually match directed a designated marksman, uh, match, which was totally geared towards your smaller, more compact rifle. Um, you could show up with a red dot. You could show up with a one by eight, one by six, one by 10, uh, five, five, six guns. You know, there was people with all kinds of different variations. There was guys who showed up with. I think one guy showed up with an AK with a magnified optic. One guy showed up with a, you know, an M6, uh, uh, M14, um, you know, people with all kinds of different AR variants. And it was a DMR style match. We competed in DMR style matches. And that was, that was really, really relevant in, uh, the East by Southeast portion of this country. And, and then also with that quantified performance and also where we were coming from in the military, you know, we got to know Ash Hess and Ash was, was, uh, he, he's, he's the other half of quantified performance, but he also was integral in writing the army's doctrine for marksmanship. So it's funny that Jack and Ash, both halves of quantified performance, both authors on the Marine Corps and then the army's respective marksmanship manuals. And so, um, they came forward, they created this kind of carbine focused competition series that had grown and It continues to grow. It's a really, it's really big in our area. Um, and then when we started, we saw that there really wasn't a lot of people kind of tailored towards this, this market, you know? And so we wanted to kind of continue to push that. And so, we we started with a heavy focus on carbines. Now, I would say that our courses the to this to this day are a little bit more heavy focused on bolt actions because in the precision world there is a there's a bigger market there. Um, but we still have you know probably twenty five percent of our course is still a lot of uh, gas guns or semi automatics uh, showing up to those, and then we even have. Um, uh, one course coming up pretty soon here. And uh, that's, that's kind of specifically tailored towards gas guns because it, it's meant to feed people directly into one of those quantified performance matches. That's
0: going to be a few weeks after that. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so if people didn't, didn't catch that one of the, one of the early on uh, straight dope podcasts, I was talking, I was reading through a Marine Corps marksmanship manual. And, and I said like, man, I wonder who writes this. And so the the next day, uh, Jack Luba emails me and, and Jack was a part of the, the team that edited and created that document. And And Jack works at Knight's Armament and, and now runs or, and has been running this quantified performance uh, gas gun match. And, and I was excited to go last year, but when the cameo um, affidavit Colorado mag restriction rule kind of made a lot of competitions withdraw, from from cameo you know the gas gun stuff and the pistol stuff uh really got a little bit nervous about that because capacity restrictions or at least the idea that they might have to sign affidavits and say that you don't have uh magazines that have a certain number of of rounds in them, especially like you know for, for things like gas guns where it's common to have mag numbers that are higher than what's restricted. Um, yes, yeah, so those matches didn't come. So, so this year in 2023, it, it's very high on my to-do list is to hit up a couple of quantified performance matches and, and you hear nothing but good things about it, but I can't speak credibly because I've never been to one exactly, but, but gas guns have always been dear to my heart. In fact, you know, I, yeah, for sure. If I had to pick one rifle, it would be my precision. Or one of my precision, Gas guns to shoot forever because I feel like, well, first of all, I shoot it better than any gun. I shoot a, a, you know, a precision gas gun. I shoot it better than my bolt guns for, for whatever reason. And the, the range limitations that it has, um, I I don't really see them realistically as limitations because like to me with my 223 or my 556, I feel like I've got a line about 600 meters Where I feel like, you know, after that you can hit stuff, but, but, but percentage wise shot hit probability uh, deteriorates rapidly, even with the Mm. heavy rounds, uh, stuff like that. So, so I feel like, you know, I, and I'll take them out to one days and shoot against bolt guns, but if it's inside of 600 meters, I'll go toe to toe with anybody outside of 600 meters. If I'm competing against bolt gunners, you know, there's a lot left on the table because you know any wind variation and any any other things like that any environmental factors that contribute to a small bullet and a low bc um you know your hit probability just just exponentially uh drops off which doesn't mean you can't hit stuff but it does mean that realistically your expectations are different right now if you have unlimited rounds man and you're good with driving it and you know what to do with unlimited rounds that's another thing but if it's just one shot, one point, I feel like 600, 600 meters for me is the line. But a lot of these matches are inside of that for the most part. Right? Right. Or if you're not inside of that, everybody's shooting gas guns. And so, so it's a more even playing field. Right? Yeah. So, and
1: I think, so I think that that's, that's the, that's the conversation we have a lot with our students. Um, and, you know, cause we, we right off the bat, you know, we advertise that we're going to go to a thousand yards. And so we'll, we'll get those, those phone calls. We'll get those emails and they'll say, well, you know, you know, one guy will say, Hey, well, you know, I have a 14 and a half inch five, five, six. Well, I'd be able to shoot to a thousand. And then we'll have the next guy say, well, I got a, you know, I got a 22 inch six, five pre more. Well, I'd be able to shoot to 20, you know, to a thousand. And the, and the, the, the answer to both of them is yes, but is the next thing. (laughs) And we say, well, what's your, what is your expectation? Because we always have a conversation about expectation management with these people. And, and, and I always have that with anybody, with any rifle, no matter what the cartridge, no matter what the platform is. And I say, well, you know, yeah, that 14 and a half inch five, five, six gun can shoot a thousand yards. The bullet will absolutely travel that. You know, but if you want to talk about your probability of hit, it's going to be very low. Depending on your skill set, depending on the size of the target depending on how much wind we have. Now, if you want to guarantee that you'll have a lot higher percentage of hit, bring a bolt to action 3-3 at Lapua. Okay, now you have to worry a whole lot less about wind and your size of target is is less detrimental also. Mm -hmm. If you bring that, then we have a a higher probability hit. And they're like, well, that's not what I have. And I'm like, well, then just expect that you're going to hit the target less. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, you know, you want to bring something small, you want to have low magnification, you want to have a slow traveling bullet, you want to have low BC, then you know what you what you have is a gun that you can shoot fast, you can move quickly, you could store it in your seat, you could kill coyotes with, like that's the kind of rifle you want. And that's great. And then understand that's the rifle you have. If you want the other rifle that can stop, you know, a lightly skinned vehicle, you know, at 1500 yards, well then bring that one though. And those are two different rifles, right? You know? Right. So,
0: right, right, right. right. So let's, let's, let's add in some layers of, of like education also to this. So, um, you know, and, and I, I don't want to be the one that, I mean, I, I have answers to everything I'm asking. So, so but, uh, but, um, but I want to kind of create some context because I, I think, first of all, most people—if you have a gas gun, these kind of matches or any matches that include gas gun stuff—and I've the, my primary outlet for gas gun matches has been competition dynamics matches. But they don't get funner than that. And I've heard that Jeremy Ty runs a really good match in Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. he's an incredible gas gun shooter. I have never been to that either, but people that I trust, like Tyler Hughes, uh, that you know they—they they talk about his match and they put it on a high pedestal or Tim Milkovich. Uh, you know, he, he's a great gas gun shooter. talks a lot about that match. The Southeast sounds like it's got a very high density of really good gas gun matches. And, you know, some people, it's hard to travel, you know, it's, it's expensive for me to travel cause you know, it's just cause I have to pay for that stuff. Um, but if you live in the Southeast, there's a ton of these matches and it sounds like they're growing and spreading in a couple kind of unique ways. Like one is like a running gun style. Then you got Mm -hmm. the quantified performance match. And then I've also heard of uh, a new match, or at least to me, it's new called the proving grounds, which is Mm -hmm. a little bit more stress shoot style Mm -hmm. competition. Uh, But, but, but you use, you use gas guns. And, And so I'm not even going to say the name, but when you're using a a gas gun you know past a couple hundred yards um, you know the, you're usually going to use a, some sort of magnified optic what what are some of the what are some of the equipment and some of the limitations but what are some of the advantages that you see you know why why would why would the army want or you know or or, or any country's army why would they equip snipers with precision gas guns over bolt guns and why would a civilian that's interested in competition why would they want to run one of these
1: time and opportunity mm-hmm. time and opportunity is the number one reason for a semi-automatic rifle over let's say a bolt action rifle and that's the reason why our our you know our our light fighters use semi-automatic rifles and we really have tiered our forces, if you look at them, from close combat forces. And, and our close combat forces are kind of split between uh, kind of three phases. You have your 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 light infantry, kind of, you know, your short, medium, and long, essentially. So your short being your regular infantry with their carvings, low power, you know, variable optics, or even fixed low-powered optics, uh, whether they be you know, red dots or maybe four power optics, uh, four, four part fixed optics, I should say, then you're going to have your SDMs, which are going to be your mid range rifles up to like machine guns. And then you're going to have your snipers, which are going to be your long range precision weapons. And then beyond that, you're going to have your indirect weapon systems, which are obviously not individual weapon systems as a cruiser weapon systems. And then you're going to have your heavy machine guns, obviously that are, that are beyond sniper range. And then beyond, um, and those are also cruiser weapon systems. Um, and they're all based off of time and opportunity. So if I have that 50 or actually zero to let's say 300 meter target, I don't have a lot of time and I don't have a lot of opportunity. And that's actually how our, how our, our rifleman qualification is based off of. So um, that 50 to hundred yard target is meant to be engaged, standing quick and reflexive. Um, those targets beyond that kind of fifty one hundred yard range are meant to be in that off a barricade or standing or kneeling off a barricade, and then once you get into that two hundred and beyond, that's meant to be hey I'm in the prone or kneeling and low kneeling or something like that off a barricade or like I said in the prone um, supported position, and then I'm in that that three hundred meter kind of range because now I have time to get in that prone and get a more supported position. And I have opportunity there. Um, your SDMs, once again, your SDM is a rifleman. So once again, he can make those, those short-range engagements if he needs to. And that's usually why he's going to have a barrel power optic himself. Um, that's why he's going to be carrying some, like an SDMR-style rifle. There's going to be a shorter barrel. Um, but yeah, he's going to have a little bit more magnification, And then he's also going to have a cartridge that can, can stretch to a little bit farther range. And then, obviously, your, your snipers—they're going to have a high-power variable optic, and then cartridges that can shoot a lot farther. But they're not going to be able to um, be able to really make those short-range engagements because they need time and opportunity to to employ their systems.
0: So, at these matches, like most most of the matches that I've been to, the gas gunner either. You- gets unlimited rounds well they yeah but for the most part, get unlimited uh, unlimited rounds, and a lot of them um uh, time is a component right, which makes sense no you you, yeah. you, you don't have time for close range opportunities, so hits in time so so at these matches uh like the quantified performance match um you know how like you're you're shooting precision style targets, but you're doing it faster yeah, so they they is do a really good is just, it, yeah. So so explain kind of how that works.
1: Yeah. So they, they actually do a really good job of managing this. And I, I love that. This is why. So I've actually shot a lot of the quantified performance matches this year. It was kind of rough for me to get out to them. I think I only got to one match. But the years before that, I I think I only missed one of their matches. Um, so the way they manage this is if you have deep targets, you have time. If you have short targets, you don't have time. Um, and what they usually do is you either have short targets that are small and you have a lot of them, um, or, or sorry, big and you have a lot of them or short target targets that are small and you don't have a lot of time. And so one of the target one of the, one of the stages they like to run for short, short range is called chaos. Um, and that one is usually there's uh, I think it's five targets and it's, shoot target one, then shoot target two, then shoot target one, then shoot target three, then shoot target one, then shoot target four, then one, then five, then one, then four, then one, then three, then one, then two, then one. Um, So that's, I think, what, 15 15 shots. Um, And you usually have, I don't know, 60 seconds or something like that to make all those engagements, which doesn't sound initially all that hard, uh, except that you're usually not driven a very stable area to shoot that from. And they're usually spread just far apart that if you're, you know, you've got your magnification kind of high, it's going to be outside your field of view. So when you start panning to go left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right, you actually can skip over your targets pretty easily. So, and then typically one of those targets is just enough outside of like four of those targets will all be right in like maybe the 200 yard range, but then one of them is going to be at 300 or something like that. Just enough to where you're going to have to hold a little bit extra elevation for one of your targets. So it gets really complicated just because it's very fast and you have to keep track of what target you're on. Cause you can't get out of sequence. If you get out of sequence, usually you can get back into sequence, but usually you're going so fast that it's hard to really kind of keep track of. Um, is, it,
0: is it unlimited rounds? Yeah, usually usually that one's unlimited rounds.
1: Yeah. Um, I think people hear that and they think like... Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, like sometimes people think unlimited rounds and they think like, oh, well, that would make it easy, but it takes a lot of time to pull the trigger a bunch. And also, you know, it slows you down when you're missing because you're not sure where you're missing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I think you bumped it. I think you bumped it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I bumped my ear thing and it turned it off. And then I was like, oh, shit. So I tried to open recording? a meeting. It says it's still recording. Let me, okay. let me double, triple check. Oh, yeah, it's recording uh, up here. All right, cool. Yeah, it was going to the cloud. So holy fuck. Well, that would be fun to throw in there. Um, yeah, sorry about that, guys. I, I touched my earbud and turned off the, uh, left the meeting. I thought it canceled it, though. So I tried to start a new one really quick. And as it was in progress, I clicked the link I sent you. Yeah. Here we are. So, so let's see where we were. We were at, uh, unlimited rounds, you know, but, but fast, precise shots because up close, you don't have time mm-hmm. and then a little more time, but 60 seconds, uh, goes by really quickly, particularly when you're changing aspects and, um, you're under, I mean, obviously that that's, uh, that's obviously under stress, but that, that yeah. seems, that seems pretty cool and fun. And then, um, you mentioned your the LVPOs like the the magnification. You know, I think I think that that's interesting because knowing the types of engagements that you're going to be in, I do think the magnification. Some of that just comes from experience, but but yeah, um, good mass directors are really are able to maximize a lot of the field of view and accidentally skipping a target in a sequence. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. So th- so that's that sounds pretty cool. What 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 are, what are some other things that are like kind of fun and exciting, uh, that could get people stoked for precision gas gun matches. Like, so, so these are that that's within 300 yards. Um, what are some of the longer range uh, engagements like? Um, so
1: we've had, we've had some that, um, you know, we've had, we, we've made engagements out at 1100 yards, um, which, you know, that gets a little frosty when you're, uh, when you're shooting with a uh, eight power LVPO on a, you know, an 18 inch freaking five, five, six gun. Um but you know it's doable. I've gotten, you know, five out of ten hits. Usually those kind of things will be limited round count. Time's not really as much of a component on those stages because you typically have more than enough time to make all of your shots. Um it's just more of a make a really, really good win call. Um, and then being able to make a correction. Um you're usually more than more than generous targets, they'll be full size if six or even Iron Maidens for those ty- types of targets. But uh, for the average uh, competitor, I would say probably 50% of the field is out there with a, you know, uh, 308 or a 556 gun. So they've they gone trans four 500 yards before that. So um, they're, they're well outside of any kind of known dope at that point in time. So they're just, uh, just sailing them, um, you. you know? So, I mean, they do have an open, an open class, which I've shot open. I've actually, I've shot every class they have. Um, and so, you know, those guys with the full on race guns, um, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna do pretty well in stages like that. But then again, the guys in the full full on race guns, when you get to those chaos stages and stuff, that's, that's the kind of stage that's going to be really tough for them because they're not going to have a, they're not going to have a gun built for that.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah people exactly. ask me like "Well, if you're gonna do steel safari again still I, I went to steel safari and shot the gas gun division this year and I, and I won it i was having a little bit of malfunction issues on one of the days and um they're like well you know the some of the engagements are a, a lot of the engagements were farther than 600 yards and um they're like you know what would you bring next year And i was like i'd bring the same the same thing i mean i'll, I'll shoot five shoot six you mm-hmm. know seventy three three grain it, it's you know because we get unlimited rounds i like you can drive it and it's good but if if it's up close or if you're having to move like the uh, burris and and the team safari the stages there's a lot of run and gun kind of they call them the assault style stages. but 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 like you know you'll, you'll shoot a bunch of paper targets with your pistol then you'll holster clear it and holster it and then you'll run through these little canyons um you know engaging paper targets and steel at distance and it's like man I can't imagine doing that with like a six five gas gun as fast as I can move and engage you know virtually no recoil with a two two three having yeah. to do these really fast moving uh engagements with that and and so i don't I don't think that there's much of a downside when it comes to competition um when you get a lot of when you get unlimited rounds right yeah because because the amount of energy we're you know we're not because we're not talking about hunting and we're not talking about engagements that actually require transfer of energy and so on so forth we're just talking about hitting targets um and that had engagements out to 1350 this Mm -hmm. this this last year um and uh but you know which was like holy shit like yeah the, the time starts you know and you're looking for your targets and you find your targets you're like Look at your dope card. You're like, fuck. Okay, grab your Kestrel and start going. Tick, 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 you know, like, yeah. adds. I'm gonna add 800 yards to my to my dope card here, so I can get the dope for this. And then you lay down and <laughs> see this, <laughs> that. And that's one kind of things
1: are where I really like the Valkyrie because you know, as much as people really hate on the Valkyrie, I can, I can, I can do those stages where we're short and close, and I got, I can make rapid shots. You know, with with relatively low recoil but then I can still poke out there pretty far because uh, I still have some pretty good, you know, terminal or not yeah, terminal, I mean, external
0: ballistics. Dude, with, with um, I shot a Valkyrie one year at uh, the, the team safari with Colin Foss and, 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 and we got, we got second place. Uh, it was with JP upper put on a Daniel defense lower. And then I had all my stuff in there and then there was the shortage of COVID. And I just, I had never went back to, to shooting up. And since then, like, you're psyched on the Valkyrie and Frank got psyched on the Valkyrie. And I thought, you know, that, that's cool. But I, I, you know, I shoot my five, five, six, you know, good or whatever. And then Frank brought his Valkyrie out and was showing me his load. And I was like, Holy like I don't know
1: about that load through a Valkyrie. Though.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I mean, he that was
1: load through a gas I mean,
0: <laughs> Oh yeah. He's crushing life with that thing. So, so that's cool, man. I, I'm surprised that, that, actually went away because it is so good um but you know i'm not i'm not the market driver or anything like that but let's get back to the gas gun platform stuff so when um do you see a difference uh when, when people bring um large frame versus small like what are some of the the maintenance issues i know some people are probably listening and thinking like well i want to get into this i'm, I'm i want to get in gas guns but i don't know if i want to get a six five or uh, uh or, a, or a five, five, six or a two, two, three or something like that. And, and there are some differences, but you could speak to that better because I only shoot five, five, six. And, um, and so I'm not, I'm not a good credible ref- resource to that, but it, it makes me a little bit nervous because I'm so familiar with, with the ballistics and how to really run that. But, but I, I also, I'm uh, concerned just because of the size and the mass and the uh, every, everything about it is unfamiliar to me. Um, so can, can you talk a little bit about the differences between the big ones and the small ones, and then maybe how they're used and how people should, or at least tell people how to research to make good quality decisions versus the garbage they might see on the internet? Yes,
1: actually. Well, it's funny that you say that because, um, then this totally isn't scripted for you guys listening to this, but, um, so when I did that first match with, uh, my partner, Chris, um i wrote an article it was my very first article that i ever had published um it was in uh, small arms review and um i wrote an article about our lead up and then the competition itself it, but the majority of the article was really about the gun um because i built a gun for that for that match and any of you who've started on this venture uh know and any of you who are about to start on this venture will find out there is far less information out there about AR the AR 10 platform than there is about the AR 15 platform, which is actually a very interesting thing when you think about it, because the AR 10 is the OG for the AR platform of rifle. Uh, it started with the AR 10, um, and then morphed into the AR 15 because that was what the, uh, us military ended up adopting, um, as its service rifle, because the uh, AR-10 just didn't really catch on, and so um, that's kind of the way it went from there on. But so when you're when you are looking up information on building AR-10s, you're going to find a lot less lot less stuff out there, and so um, and and AR-10s are typically far far more expensive than AR-15s as a whole. Whether it's just your standard run-of-the-mill kind of, um, plinking rifle or your precision, um, carbine. So, um, because my funds were limited at the time, I had a baby on the way, um, and I was still in the service. I decided that building was the cheaper avenue for me to, to go down. Um, and so, Uh, you know, I had a fun, I had a friend who owned a gun shop. I worked at sniper school. I figured, yeah, I can do this. And there was a lot of trial and error. Um, I had gas issues. I had cycling issues. I learned a lot about, uh, buffer springs buffers. I didn't know you could actually change out the little weights inside of a buffer. Um, I knew of things like the sonic capture system from, from JP, but I didn't realize that, you know, the standard buffer that we use actually has a push pin that little rubber stopper comes out and then there's weights inside there. I mean, we've all probably taken a buffer out of an AR and kind of shook it and heard the stuff inside of it. But most people don't realize that you can actually take that thing apart and change those weights that are inside of there. A lot of people don't realize you can go on Amazon right now and buy those individual weights that go inside of there. Um, and right now the ones that are inside of most people's rifles are just lead weights. Um, and if you go on Amazon, you can find carbide or not carbide, uh, tungsten, sorry, tungsten weights, which weigh far, far more than the lead weights. They're the same size, same diameter, same thickness, all that, things like that, but they weigh quite a bit more. Um, and most of your AR-10 platform rifles are going to need a heavier buffer system, Um, And that's a far cheaper way um, to take that kind of standard buffer that you probably have laying in your toolbox or your parts bin in your garage and, and uh, making it way more than going and buying a new one, especially some of these higher end ones that you can get from JP or Voltor or whatever else. Um, And what I found out was I needed a heavier buffer um, was one of the things I needed. Um, So there was a lot of not a lot of information out there. So if you can buy, if you have the funds to buy a complete rifle, then absolutely go buy one. Buy one from a reputable manufacturer. But um, you know, there's there is a few manufacturers out there that will provide information, um, but there's not a lot. And um, typically, what we what we see is um, a lot of a lot of cycling and gas issues, especially in AR tens. AR 15s have seemed to have a lot less issues, um, probably because most people usually bring factory guns. Um, and most of the time, they're 5.56 five, guns. Um, so those typically aren't the problem. Um, but when we get into those AR 10s, that's when we see everything from, uh, you know, 308s to 6.5s to 6 mils to 260s to, you know, any other variation under the sun to 6 GTs now to, everything else. And um, that's where a lot of the problems lie. Um, And you get plus two gas systems and standard gas systems and rifle length gas systems and mid length gas systems and, and any other myriad of problems. And then people don't realize that there's a difference between an AR 15 trigger and an AR 10 trigger. And although you can use an AR 15 trigger, sometimes they're not heavy enough to ignite the primers on some of the, um, uh, the bigger, Uh, cartridges. And so, you know, people will show up to courses with their hand loads that they just made. And then all of a sudden they haven't actually tested um, those rounds and those conditions. And a lot of times they're, you know, have a newer hand load that they really haven't vetted in the field and they come to our course and now their guns a little bit dirty and it won't ignite primers because they don't have a, uh, an AR 10 trigger. They have an AR 15 trigger and it doesn't have a heavy enough uh, trigger spring to ignite their primers. So, um, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but there's, there's, there's quite a bit out there that, that, that can, that can cause problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Now, a lot of times people will say like, Hey, I want to get involved in long range shooting," And, and then they say something like, well, I'm thinking about six, five cream Like, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And that turns out they're you know, they're like, well, it's just, Six-five gas gun, you know, and it's got like an eighteen-inch barrel, and and I don't know exactly what velocities they're getting from that, but I always caution them, like, well, you know, you're losing a lot of velocity, and even if you have precision, you've lost that velocity, and that velocity really does matter when it comes to the percent hit percentage. Like for me, you know, most of it's coming down to measuring precision and and, the, and trying to quantify your capability of knowing where where's your hundred percent hit rate so that you can make decisions before you shoot. And uh and I, I think that that seems to be one of those items that, that gets lost or, or 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 there's not enough education. There's not enough people talking about the fact that you know the it's not just the caliber, it's not just the bullet, but the platform itself deter- and the barrel length and 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 a lot of other things determines you know how much Pressure is going to be, you know, behind that bullet so that it, you know it comes out going a, a certain speed, and so you lose that with with these gas platforms. So what are I mean? Obviously, it's ammo dependent and platform dependent, but um, you know what? what you know, I'm not. I don't think that I'm not asking you for like a hard fast. You know, I, I have no problem saying like for me, it's 600 meters or so. Um, where, where like, if we're going to shoot past that, you know, we're going to, I want to know what are we shooting at? You know, can I take more than one shot? You know, how yeah. many, right. Time and opportunity kind of thing. Um, I mean, I'm not worried about hitting targets at distance, but there's decision-making that goes into it. So, so the usefulness of, of a platform, like, do you have like a general rule of thumb for like, let's say we're talking about AR-15. But, you know, for mm-hmm. now, you are gonna. You know, I'm going to give you some heavy, you know, 5.56, five, let's say 73, 77 grain, 5.56 five, ammo. Do you have a general rule of thumb for barrel length and, and distance that people are satisfied with their hit capability, given mm-hmm. certain, given the certain ability to drive a gun? You know, like to me, if I have an 18 inch 5.56, you know, and it's inside of 600 meters, I have tons of confidence yeah if i have an 18 inch 556 and unlimited rounds i'm I'm still pretty confident um but if i have a 14 inch i don't have a i don't have a determining distance like you know that that might be 500 meters right right? or or if i have a a 10 inch you know i I might i might be like shit you know 300 meters i might not be as confident Um, is there a rule of thumb for that or um, for, for the engagement distance and the barrel links that you guys are taking out.
1: So what we tip, I mean, yeah, our rule of thumb honestly is we typically hedge our bets on transonic range. Um, what we have seen is typically, um, that's where we're going to see the hit percentages start to fall apart. Um, at, Obviously, that's situation dependent. It always is. Um, it's going to be shooter dependent, but transonic range, and and I would say that that's probably pretty close to what you're saying. Six hundred yards. I mean, we'd have to run the numbers, but you know, that seventy-seven grain out of that eighteen-inch gun is probably going to go transonic in that six hundred-yard range, and that's, that's probably. Um, I, I. I mean, we could. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't.
0: No, no. I. I don't. I mean. I would love to do that, but, but you know, I like, I, I like to think general and, 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 and rules of thumb. And then like force somebody to say like, look, you got to figure this out still for yourself, but mm-hmm. these rules of thumb are helpful, but not like, this won't work for your gun necessarily, but it's likely. And, and how do you think about things? And so I, like, I, like I've been talking a lot about wind in terms of a percentage of a distance, like, you know, it, it's not perfect, but it works really good. and, and people are like yeah well you know i got my calculator out and instead of 0. 0.4 mils it was like 0.437 and it's like all right bro shoot the difference I can, you know can,
1: yeah shoot the difference. exactly
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> okay and, cool and uh <laughs> yeah 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 but so so like you know i think it's fun when i have an expert like you on or any of the friends that i have that come on right because i really only talk to friends on here um to t- you know to kind of talk like realistic like man, I, I hate some of the hard and fast rules. Like here's the science behind this. And it's like, nobody can fucking do that. And, but then people use that to justify it. It's like, dude, no, like nobody shoots that good. Like, right. Like, okay, you're a quarter inch shooter and you can read the wind to one mile an hour. It's like, fuck that. Like, all right, that's nonsense to me The you know, it's like, no, like, you know, if you're a good shooter, you're shooting an inch. And if you're a good wind reader, you're reading wind to like, three miles an hour and so now you know you you, now you're talking about it being basically a two-inch shooter at distance like all right now and so in that context if you're willing to accept that you know and we talk about our experiences and you're like yeah you know okay right you know two moa at at you know 500 yards is it is a good shot and and smaller than that and it's going to be a little bit sketchy if it's going to be a first-round impact with a gas gun you know life you know and, and, and so it's and, and, and to me, those are just we could argue minutia, but it, but it realistically, like when we're talking about stuff like that, to me, it's like man, you know, realistically, on the fly with a rifle, two MOA is pretty good considering mm-hmm. environmental variables, stress, speed, yeah. You know, so, and other than choreograph, like micro, like forcing it to be, let's shoot smaller things. A little bit of stress, and a little bit of time and opportunity. Two MOA is fucking hard to hit. You know realistically all the time right right and and you could take half of that away once you know the wind but you don't know the wind so you know 2 them away i'm pretty confident one i away i'm not so confident but if you could if you could shoot two away and then a one away target like fine you know that right that, you know that's another right. story um but uh so, so those, those are the rules of thumb that I'm thinking about, but I, I really like that. I'm going to look into that and whether it's true or not, I think that's fascinating because if, if, cause it kind of makes sense, right? When you're going into that transonic range, your speed's slowing down a lot, a lot of things are happening, but. And that's where those gun numbers start to shift
1: too. I mean, when we look at gun <laughs> number, that's typically about when we start to look at that gun number shift also. So right. yeah, I mean, that's, that's typically how I look at things with any of my cartridges is, you know like when i look at my gun is well what's its what's what is transonic range and i'm going to guess i mean i'll be honest i'm not going to sit here and, and pull up the numbers on every one of them because you know when i when i sit there with students on the range you know eh, when we have 12 students i'll have two to three instructors out there depending on you know what i'm what i'm able to to bring to a course but you know i may have six students in front of me And and we have this conversation with our students all the time. If I have six students in front of me, I may have six different cartridges in front of me. And the first time we go to distance, I'm making wind calls for all of those students. Mm -hmm. So how do you make wind calls for six students with six different cartridges and corrections for six students with six different cartridges? They all have different velocities. They all have different gun numbers. and, and, And so... You know, I do it obviously off of experience, and then obviously, and then the other part of it is believing what the bullet tells me it's doing. Um, but you know, I just I ask him, well, what are you shooting? And I look, and I'm like, okay, that's a semi-auto, and he's shooting a six five. Okay, well, I know he's, he, you know, that gun looks to be twenty inches. He's shooting a one forty six five Creedmoor. That means he's shooting at best twenty six fifty. Unless he hand loaded it and maybe he's shooting a little bit faster. But either way, that's a thousand yard gun. That's a thousand is where he's gonna go transign. Just about. Okay, great. I know where he's where he's playing. Obviously, his skill set could be a little bit different, but I know where he's playing. I know that he's gonna be, you know, in the high fives for a gun number, maybe around a six. Okay, then that's what that is. All right, this guy's mm-hmm. a 308. You know, he's got a 24-inch barrel, bolt action 308. Great. You know, that's a 2650. If he's shooting factory ammo for muzzle velocity, he's a four mile an hour gun. He's going transonic right around 750 meters. So 800 yards. Great. You know, and I just go down the line and I know from experience that that's about where those guys are without having strapped a chrono to everybody's gun, without having their, everybody's test roll pull up. And that's where I have to live at. And so that's typically how I play it
0: gotcha yeah i think i mean really that's really that's really interesting because um if if we think about the transonic stuff and then you think about precision bolt gun competition or engagement stuff it's also well within the transonic range it's not even it's not even it's not pushing transonic usually no. i mean the elr stuff like we're well within the transonic range but with gas guns we're not when, when you start to overlay. So it's not apples to apples, despite the fact that at a hundred yards, you might shoot similar size groups at a distance. There really are factors that are vitally important that you don't see, unless you look into the ballistic side of things, right. Which, which would require some experience. And, and, um, despite the fact that like, yeah, it's a six, five Creedmoor, but you've, you know, essentially cut it in half right or, or or it's at two-thirds it's like two-thirds power versus a bulk gun and right. and uh that that's something that that it's hard to conceptualize and it's hard to um hard to talk about if if, if it's not a conversation that people have had or at least thought about now hopefully this stimulates people just to maybe not even understand or relate to exactly how we talk about it. Cause we talk about it different. Like if you, if you're thinking about transonic and I, I tend to think about things in terms of the gun, the guns wind number, but my carving is it's, it's like a three and a half mile an hour gun, you know? And my, you know, my Creedmoor is like a six and a half mile, you know, an hour gun, something like that, or a seven mile an hour. So it's like twice the gun. And, and, and so, but they're like, what, you know, at a hundred yards, I shoot my gas gun better. But there's a point where that better gets bypassed by the, by the, um, it gets bypassed by, by the six, five, no matter how good of a group, the gas gun shoots ballistically, the six, five outperforms it at a distance. Mm-hmm. You say, well, if we're going to be shooting at 800 yards, well, I'll probably, I'll probably bring the Creed more. If we're shooting a thousand yeah. for sure, I'm going to bring the Creed more. And if we're inside of 600, well, shit, you know, it I love, but uh, I'm going to shoot back to the, um, time and opportunity. And so for, for people like, um, I always put out challenges, if, if you have access to a big barricade or like a VTAC board, the VTAC board is like that, That uh, not for you, but the the listeners, like the, it's, it's like a big piece of plywood with like stairs cut on one side of it, holes in it. And you can you can run all those positions. And usually you see people shooting carbines at a plate, you know, not too far down there. And they're timing, how long does it take you to take a shot or two from each of those holes and create some kind of, let's say a 10 or 12 or 15 position course of fire, and you know even just have one target like in and a, and a big target, like one that you're probably not going to miss, so that you're more worried about time than you are at hitting and take out your carbine and take out your bolt gun and time yourself, right I i, I do this like actually like a lot with a VTac at 100 yards, um, and shit, I'll put out like a five of away, you know, a five inch plate, six inch, eight inch plate at a hundred yards. And, and I, I'll, I'll try it. I'm like, man, I'm going to catch up to my carbine speed. There's just no fucking way I'll ever catch up to my carbine speed with my bolt gun just ever. Right. And because you can move it and manipulate it and be accurate enough to be able to run that stuff. There are so many advantages to gas guns over bolt guns in that ballistic window. That I think it's crazy more people aren't trying to push that platform. Yeah,
1: well, I'll tell you. So you know, you know who Tyler Payne is. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't. I don't think it was this year. It was last year. Last year, Tyler was trying to shoot the PRS series, um, the whole series with uh, with his semi-auto. And the reason, one of the reasons, I don't know this for a fact, cause I didn't talk to him directly about it. I talked to one of the other guys that were on his, on his team at the army Marksmanship unit was he wanted to, he wanted to win every one of those, uh, what do they have? The, um, uh, the skill stages. He wanted to win every one of the skill stages with, with his, with his gas gun. Um, you know, cause they, they all had their own, it, I think at one point in time in the PRS, they had their, their own, uh, Like you, if you, if you won the skill stage at that match, you know, like there was its own prize or whatever, but either way, moving on past that, he went to the Altus match. uh, One of the national level Altus matches and he came in second or third place. I can't remember what it was. And he, if you looked, he was actually tied with the next person up above him. I think they beat him because there was a tiebreaker stage and that's what they technically beat him on, but he was tied for, you know, the, the, he was in a two way tie and he cleaned the floor against all these people. And what, what didn't really get put out and a lot of people didn't really pay attention to was he was there with a semi-auto JP rifle with six, that was in six millimeter Creedmoor and he was shooting factory ammo. And he, nice. yeah. And awesome. it, it, it was like, dude, it's it's doable. You know, I mean, obviously he's, yeah. he's a world-class shooter. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but um, yeah, it's absolutely doable with a carbine. And if you can shoot a, there's no reason why you can't shoot a carbine as well as you can a bolt gun. Most people just can't cause they don't try. They don't practice. They don't have the time behind it. Um, but if you got to that point where if you put that effort forth, if you had that rifle that I believe a semi-auto could be just as accurate as a bolt action, if you could take that and then take the speed of a semi-auto, the sky's the limit. The sky's the mm-hmm. limit. You know, totally. the, the biggest thing you're losing with a semi-auto over, over a bolt action is balance and then velocity, which right, but there's things actually you can do there. creed
0: If it cycles with yeah. six creed, because they go so fast, you're actually still in a competitive speed because you're probably dropping it down to 28 and that's what people are running dashers and BRs and shit. So, right. I right. And that. you can balance now, the, the gun. feeding. I'd be worried about feeding, but again, I don't know anything about the large frame gas guns enough to know how much maintenance you need to run and, and how sensitive some of those parts are. Um, You know, short of like taking it to the AMU and having them service it for you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I can't speak to his specific rifle. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it's a, you know, an elite rifle of its own, but well, JP in itself
0: is an elite rifle. So,
1: right. I, I I picked one up not too long ago and I, (laughs) I'll be shooting it quite a bit this year in the, uh, in the quantified performance matches myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And And then Competition dynamics. The the JP rifles tend to be the majority of the top placing teams are running those too. Like, Mm. you know, they're good at, at, at making precision long range gas platforms you know, which is, which is pretty cool, which is, which is pretty awesome. When, um, what what are some things that, um, I mean, short of coming to, you know, obviously like you guys have classes on this and there's other, there's other people that have classes that, that, you know, have the credibility and background that you do um, that are out there teaching and stuff, but what are some things that you tend to find yourself telling people to do with a gas gun, maybe coming from a bolt gun, but they're not quite sure how to hold it or drive it. You know, I know I have a specific way of driving a gas gun that works for me. What are some things that you tell them to do, you know, right off the bat that might be a little bit different than a bolt gun?
1: So, um, I hate the word drive (laughs) now. Um, so, uh, one of the, you know, obviously one of the biggest things is, um, compared to semi-automatic when you're comparing a semi-automatic to like a uh a bolt action um fitting it is is huge um obviously we we look at fitting them a little bit differently than when we fit a a bolt action typically because they're they adjust differently um we lose some of the adjustability in a semi autom that we ha- might have in some of these chassis rifles that we have today. Um, and then typically we don't have the forgiveness in a semi-auto platform that we do with a bolt action rifle. Um, you know, a lot of those bolt action rifles these days, we really can kind of free recoil or, or I, I don't want to get into that argument of the free recoil versus not free recoil because there's a time and a place for everything. But, um, you know, that natural point of aim that being married up to the rifle and then actually, you know, controlling a rifle is a lot more important. And that's really what, when you hear people use the word drive a semi-auto, what they're referring to is controlling their rifle. Um, and that's, that's, I guess maybe the terminology that I would use, um, rather than saying drive is I think that, um, you know, controlling your rifle is a lot more important with a semi-auto than it is maybe with a bolt-action rifle, and I guess that's where that free recoil kind of comes in. Because with the free recoil, you don't have to control your rifle because your rifle is so heavy um, that it can kind of stay in place on its own with a bolt action, and you can't really gotta get away with that with most of your semi-auto. So um, grip becomes very very important with your semi-autos, um, and and we're we talk a lot about the way you use the grip on your rifle. I believe that, you know, ergonomics is a thing and your grip is designed to do something specifically. Um, and you should use it accordingly. And if your grip is not proper for your hand and it's not ergonomically correct for you, then get a different fucking grip. Um, and I can't say that any other way because people just don't listen. And what they end up doing is just not using their grip correctly. Um, I actually just recently saw this, um, again, from peers, friends, um, saying, you know, Oh, thumb over grip. Well, thumb over grip, uh, on a semi-auto does absolutely work. I understand the thought process of not in, not wanting to have sympathetic movement, um, in your rifle, um, thumb over grip on bolt action rifles, where your grips are designed to be where you would have a thumb over and compared to thumb wrap grip makes a lot of sense because that grip is designed to work that way and it still fills up the palm of your hand. Uh, but a thumb over grip on a semi-automatic rifle is a bad habit um, because now what you've essentially done is chose to have no grip or had a, a very bad grip. You're not actually controlling your rifle. Um, you're actually taking the majority of your hand off of the grip. And what you've done is you've, you've decided that because I'm so used to just laying in the prone, and laying on my belly with bipods in the rear bag that I don't actually have to hold on to my rifle. And therefore I don't need to control it. Um, and I think that that's a terrible mindset and I, and, uh, sorry, I'm getting a text message here. Um, I don't have to control my rifle. And, and what I would say is with carbines, they're, they're fighting rifles. They're meant to shoot, move and communicate. Right. Um, so I always would encourage people to use a thumb over grip. And like I said, if your rifle, if your grip won't allow you to have proper grip and minimize your sympathetic movement while still having a 90 degree trigger press then get a grip that does, there's plenty of them out there that will allow you to do that. Um, and then, um, we, we see a lot because triggers typically are heavier in semi-automatic rifles is guys can't, um, to have good 90 degree trigger presses without uh, jerking the rifles left and right. And that goes about a lot into that driving the rifle. So, um, that's just something you have to work on. Get a lighter trigger, practice more, shoot those craft drills um, and learn how to control your rifle. When build, build more stable positions, you know, you can do a lot to minimize that sympathetic movement of your rifle when you press your trigger, um, if you build a better position. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do to control the rifle. Um, and I think that that would be that driving of the rifle that you referred to.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's always fun to just have, so have some things that people would think about and test take to the range, you know, and then obviously it's going to end up coming back After needing kind of help and guidance and fundamental instruction from people. But if beforehand people are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go test them and play around with this. And and it's nice to have people throw out the tips. Yeah. I always tell people to focus on, you know, how they're holding this, the the support hand to me is just as important. I mean, obviously if you're going to shoot one handed that that's fine, but you've compromised a lot. But the way I engage with my left hand as a right-handed shooter is much different. You know, I'm really hanging on to the front of the hand guard. And a lot of my shooting of a carbine is driven, is from that relationship I have with my hand on the handguard and the angle of position of my elbow. And, you know, yeah. depending on what my recoil does under shooting, I feel like I, I actually kind of steer the recoil by the angle of my support arm elbow. And I think that's really cool because th- that's the kind of thing that you can really see and you can really learn a lot relatively quickly. Almost, you know, kind of like when you shoot a pistol, you know, you shoot the pistol and, you know, you kind of, you're, you're, you know, because you're concentrated on the sights or you're concentrated on a red dot, you can see what happens when it moves. Cause right there in front of you, you don't just lose your sight picture like somebody might do with a bolt gun and with the carbine, the same thing, you know, I shoot and you can see the, you know, the reticle do a, a you know, a big, circular movement you're like all right cool that means i'm going to drop my elbow a little bit and then it's like okay now it's a smaller circular movement if it comes up it's like all right cool i'm going to change my shoulder position a little bit and then it's like wow it doesn't come up anymore and now it's like bang you're still on target bang you're still on target and and this weird relationship between your elbows and your shoulders create a what to me seems like the optimal way to engage like you know, and that's what, that's why I like, it. man, if, if, yeah. if I could shoot, I mean, literally if I could get a, a, a platform that cycled as well as my five, five, six in six millimeter and it shot those six millimeters at 2800 feet per second. And it groups as good as the stuff that I've got. I would never shoot a bulk gun again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude,
1: nothing, nothing is more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking
0: for? Like, uh,
1: not relieving, um, like fulfilling, I should say, I guess nothing, nothing is more fulfilling than when you have a nice solid position, everything just clicks and you rip off around on a semi-auto and at, like the rifle just doesn't freak him. I mean, it moves, but like, it just doesn't move your 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 reticle stays fixed on the target you can like, yeah. you consciously hear the bolt come back and then slam you know slam back into you know slap back into battery you watch that trace you know that last little bit of trace come in the round hit the target and then you audibly hear the click of the trigger reset and you can crank off another round like in just like milliseconds that just is it's something you can't do with a bolt action because you have to physically, manually, you know, run the bolt. You, you, like, in the time that it would take for me to let go of my grip and grab the bolt, I can, I can be firing my second round. Exactly. And, exactly. I mean, that's why, like, there's those videos from Hat Creek and those videos from, uh, you know, Sandman and whatever on on social media where they're doing the three-round challenge. And I think uh, Maddie Nelson from Seekins does it where they do the three-round challenge at 500 darts where they're like, boom, 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 and then click, click, you know, ding, 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 the three rounds on target at 500 yards or whatever it was. You know, you can't do
0: that with a bolt action. Right, you just right. can't. Exactly. Exactly. I know what you're talking about, about that feeling. And, and the fact that like you watch the reticle, you know, kind of come towards you.
1: Yeah. It, it it's like move, out of focus. It didn't move in relation
0: to like, and you're like, man, as fast as you could pull the trigger, that's all that's all you really need to worry about because you've got that perfect position. And, and yeah. It's like, man. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Like, okay. And that's the, you know, do I get one shot or do I get three? Because if it's, if it's an issue, if I miss one, I can get three on in the same amount of time as a bolt gunner is going to, you know, I, I you're right. You could get, you could probably get five shots or more in the same time that a bolt gunner could take his follow up shot. And so missing that first round almost means nothing because you're going to hit it within two or three shots, no matter what, just bingo. Like, and so uh, I got, a, I got the, a story
1: for you. Do You got any more questions? Cause if not, I got a story for us to wrap it up.
0: All right, Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. yeah Cause we, yeah, we got to get off and get back to our fires right. and shit. Okay.
1: So no shit there. I was all right. We're in Israel. We're on our third stage of that sniper. Uh, the international sniper match. And uh, first two stages were just kind of meh. And we're kind of looking for our third stage to go well as our last day stage before we went in, we went into night and on this stage, mind you the way they do things, they have three people, they have three member teams, but on this stage, they called for the team commander and one shear well, This also was the first stage where they didn't tell us to bring all of our equipment. They just told us, all you have to bring is what you need. So we only brought what we thought we needed based off the stage brief, which was a critical error because we should have brought everything. And they did that on purpose. So when we get called up to the stage, because every stage was blind, what they had told us we were going to have to do was the primary shooter was going to have to shoot 12 rounds onto a bullseye target at, I want to say it was 300 yards and it was a bullseye. So it was going to be scored accordingly. And once he was done, then the commander was going to have to shoot off of one of those VTAC targets you were talking about with his car being um, at whatever his target was, I can't remember. So primary shooter, 12 rounds bullseye. And then I want to say it was like five or 10 rounds from a V V-tac on multiple positions. Okay. And let's just say, uh, we had a minute to do this. Okay. So it wasn't a lot of time, but it was a lot of rounds. The actual shooting sequence was relatively easy. So we're like, okay, great. I'm going to get up there. I got a semi-auto. This this stage is made for me because I've got a really low recoiling gun. I'm semi-auto. I'm going to throw in a a large magazine, and I'm going to get my rounds off in the prone. Then you're going to fire your rounds from the barricade. Easy peasy. Well, like I said, all these stages were blind. So I'm walking up to this stage with my rifle, magazine, rear bag. He's got game changer and his carbine and a magazine. We get up there. The area I have to shoot from is facing downhill. My target is on an uphill. I've got Harris nine inch bipods. So I don't have enough bipod to look up at my target. I don't have any other equipment with me because I left it all behind because they didn't tell me I had to bring it with me. So we're scrambling now because now we're on the clock and I'm not allowed to shoot off of his barricade. So I was like, Oh shit, I'm not going to get my rounds off. What the hell am I going to do? So I noticed some big rocks on the ground and I go and I grab these rocks and I stack them on top of each other. And then I take my rear bag. I set it on top of the rocks I throw my rifle down. I get in the prone. I get behind my rifle. He's screaming at me. Chris is like, fucking shoot, fucking shoot. Let's go. Because, you know, it's like 45 seconds into the stage and we've got a minute. And I finally get behind my rifle. I mag in, check my parallax, get sighted on this target. And I ripped off all 12 of my rounds. In about six seconds. He never gets around fired. He was pissed. We walk off the stage and every one of the IDF instructors who was standing there is looking at me with their mouth open. And I'm like, what's up? Like, did we do something wrong? And they're like, we have never seen anybody fire a precision rifle that fast in our entire life before. And every one of your rounds is on the bullseye. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it was probably a three inch bullseye, but still, the the fact of the matter was, is it was, it sounded like a machine gun.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) You put in the training and, and uh, it does the work. That's right. That's right. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you so coming on. We're going like to do that, this man. regularly. We got to do this more often. Um, but let's uh, send out 2022 with this and then we'll pick it back up in 2023. We'll we'll get uh, you back on maybe next week or something like that. We can start talking about the mountain rifleman course that we're going to be at together at Cameo in March
1: and yeah.
0: uh, some, some other shit. But I just want to get you on and chat about gas guns because it's fun to talk about gas guns and Um it's fun to talk to you and and, uh even though we chat all the time, I just don't record it. So appreciate Appreciate it.
1: it.
0: Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. You take care. Yeah, man. All right. Well say hi to your wife and um yeah, man, have a happy new year and we'll we'll chat uh soon. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye. Bye.